Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, basketball fans, and welcome to the Dave and Dia podcast. Starting at center from Portland, the wily veteran, Dave Deckard. And at guard from Los Angeles, the patron saint of rainbows and unicorns, your podcast MVP, Dia Miller. Welcome back to Dave and Dia, a Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Dia Miller. I'm here with Dave Deckert. It is Tuesday night. We have gone through the lottery picks, the lottery draft, the lottery. What do you, how is the official name of that? The lottery drawing is what I usually call it. The 2022 lottery NBA okay. lottery drawing, or just most okay. people just call it that, the lottery. That has happened. So we have a lot to talk about. Dave, how are you? I'd probably be happier along with most of Blazers Nation if the Blazers had earned a top four pick. But the way the odds are weighted, there was, you know, 36, 37 percent chance of moving up. And there was a 30% chance of getting the exact pick that the Blazers ended up at, which is not exactly equal, but pretty close. And it went one way and not the other. Uh, thank goodness they weren't in eighth, I guess. I mean, is something that you would say, but they probably weren't going to end up in sixth. That's only a less than a 10% chance. So they were either moving up or moving here. And, um, you know, they'll just have to adjust. Did you see a video of Dame's reaction to it? Uh, I've seen still photos. In fact, we used one of them on the site, which is, I mean, uh, go ahead and describe it. There's a there's a video of him where he just kind of, he smiles and just kind of shakes his head and looks down and he looks at the person sitting next to him and she kind of laughs and he's just, you know, I said today, I think I tweeted it after this happened that, that the, the most surprising thing that happened in the draft was the least surprising thing for Blazers fans because you almost have to expect it at this point. It's just like, it's like there's some sort of curse. <laughs> well, I mean, first of all, that reaction is soon to be memed, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah. second, look, it's the shaking of the head isn't just a draft. This would be a happy draft pick if the Blazers yeah. weren't in the situation of absolutely needing it to help turn around their franchise. And yeah. that's not the draft pick's fault, and that's not the numbers' fault. <laughs> that's just the way it is. Uh, they got something good. They needed more than good. That said, as we wrote about in Instant Reaction, with this level of pick, it's not likely that they're going to get everything they need out of simply selecting someone. I would suggest that's going to be a fallback position. Like, you can't lose selecting someone at number seven and taking a flyer on them. You're going to get a good player, just not what the Blazers need, which is a great player. So probably this pick is primed to be traded. And I would be surprised if the Blazers weren't heavily involved in talks with other teams about uh, ways to parlay that into 
maybe not a player with as high of a ceiling, but at least a uh, veteran uh, who can come in and help out and and be a, an almost star or a young player with some ceiling, but their current team is just kind of disappointed with them. I mean, we drafted Dame sixth. So seventh is not. Oh, come on. We can't. Okay. Are we really going to do that? Because some people online are doing that too. Yes. Damian Lillard was drafted sixth, but let's go through all the list of all the people drafted no. sixth and seventh oh, and eighth well, for all of eternity. I know. I'm not saying you. I didn't finish but, my point though. Sure. My point was Damian Lillard was drafted sixth, oh. you know, and, and that, and he ended up being great. When was Seth, Steph Curry drafted? Like he was seventh, eighth. Seventh. Okay. So, you know, you, you get players like this and, and then you have other guys that were drafted. I mean, Greg Oden and Sam Bowie, like these are guys that were drafted early. So yeah, there, there really is a little bit of a gamble to this, you know, regardless of the pick, you may end up with someone really, really good. You may end up with somebody that ends up bottoming out and not having a career in the NBA it, college basketball and the NBA are so dramatically different that this is so much of a gamble anyway. Now that's not to say that the sixth pick is no different than the, the, or the seventh pick, sorry. The seventh pick is no different than the first pick. It obviously is very different. The first and the second and the third, and even the fourth is, are, are all dramatically different than the sixth pick. I get that. But what I'm saying is you never know. You never know what could happen with that. That being said, I honestly would be surprised if they keep it. I would not be surprised to see them trade it. I, I think that's probably the direction that, that it'll go. Yeah. If they keep Dame, their needs are too great to rely on that pick. Now, if they're going to move Dame at some point, then uh, I think that there's more of a justification for rebuilding. Uh, also, I think probably, frankly, whomever they trade for had better have some tread left on the tires because I don't think they can move that kind of asset. And again, I don't want to overbuild it. It's it's a good asset. It's not a great asset. But they still can't, at this point, move that kind of asset for someone that's not going to provide them some level of security going forward. They can't put all their eggs in the basket of a 30 or 32 year old and saying, this is, we're going to go for it within the next two years. Well, you got to have some of each. You need to, to get better in the next two years, but also parlay that asset into something that's going to last slightly longer than that, knowing that you may have to change course again if it doesn't work out this year. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways that this can go. So, We'll see. I think. I think. You know. Obviously, that's that's coming, and we're going to find out what what happens. But man, the irony of this turning out the way that that it did is unfortunate. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yeah, I mean that. Well, again, it's circumstantial, and also I guess comparing to what the dreams were, because the dreams were ideally to get New Orleans pick, which up upper regions might have been around it would have been less than this it would have been like 11th 12th you know uh when we were looking at it when we originally traded for it but you were hoping that new orleans would be this mid lottery pick to low lottery pick and then the blazers own pick would hit big and you'd have the best of both worlds and not only do you not have both worlds you don't have the best anymore i think that's part of the disappointment that what could have been is you know, what is is much less than what could have been. But also, again, 
it's reflective of the team's needs. If they were young, one young player away, you can make an argument that this was the final piece. You, you might get there from here. But they're way more than that, and they have way more needs than that. And this just doesn't quite do it. I mean, I guess we're kind of back to the drawing board, which actually kind of brings us to, is there anything else you want to say about the lottery? Not much you can do. I mean, not much more to say. Yeah, I think it's see, see who that seventh pick turns into. And by the way, we're going to talk ourselves into players between now and the draft. You won't be disappointed. I think there's a fair chance that the Blazers end up picking for someone else. I don't think that would be true. Yeah. I don't think that would be true if they were at one, two, or three. If they were four, yeah, you know, that's where the speculation begins. Three spots below that, I think that their first move is to move it. And and I think that kind of that kind of brings us to our next topic, which has been a, a topic of conversation right now. Obviously, the lottery is what's being discussed. But DeAndre Ayton, we have talked about him before, uh, but there's a lot of rumors swirling. You know, when the Suns when the Suns went out of the playoffs, which was wild. That was a wild game. I can't. I feel like that has to be some sort of record for a game seven of of the most a team has ever been beaten by. I, I mean, it was it was dramatic. And it makes you wonder what on earth happened because that is to have that to to push it to a game seven in the second round and have it be that dramatic of a difference is is wild. There was a glitch um, in the matrix for sure. I mean, because Phoenix, yeah. Phoenix was the number one team. I mean, Phoenix, yeah. they were my pick to come out of the West. I thought they were going to do it again. Both the yeah. teams I picked her out. But I mean, I don't care about my picks. I always pick with a grain of salt and a sense of humor. But to see them go out to Dallas uh, that dramatically, both of those things surprised me. Yeah, me too. And I'm not thrilled that Dallas is still in the playoffs, but that's a whole other topic. Yeah, um, I mean, Luca, though, I mean, gosh, Luca has now staked a claim to, you know, being a huge, huge player in this league. I don't think there's much doubt that he has now passed Dame. So that, you know, the list is growing somewhat. Considering Dame didn't play all year, that's kind of assumed that that's... Yeah, but even so, look, what was Dame doing when he was playing? I mean, yeah, he was scoring close to 30, but the results were not this. I mean, the team wasn't winning, even with him scoring that big. And... Luca just led his team in a series in which they were serious underdogs, and there were not a lot of other viable options besides him past the favorite, the best team in the league, in the playoffs, when that team was prepared for him and, in fact, exploited him early. That, I mean, there's not—and yeah. Luca's younger— I mean, he, he has some I issues. I, I hate but. the comparison game. At the end of the day, you know, it doesn't really matter. And and Dame Dame's going to come back next year, and hopefully he's going to be back to, you know, what we're used to seeing. And I think uh, not, to, not to get into all of this because we already have, but I think, you know, knowing that he was injured for not only this last year, but the years leading up to that, you know, if, if he's been able to heal and, and get back into shape, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Right, we'll see but it does kind of matter because, look, you know, it's not just that a player is good or great. Uh, lots of players in the NBA are good, and you can argue there are probably at least a dozen that are great, if not more. But how you win is you have assets that are unique that nobody else has, right? And I know every player is unique, and we're all different colored butterflies. I get it. But 
what you really have is you have a dominant player, uh, a player that no one else can match. I think there might have been an argument three years ago that Dame was one of those, for sure. He was one of the greats, we know that, and maybe in a way that nobody else was matching. But you start looking again at this postseason, what John Morant did, you look at what Luka Doncic is doing, and you go, you know, hey, and, and of course, Steph Curry was always the one who was along with Dame. So you're going, you know, you may have an argument that Dame is now fourth. I mean, third at best. Yeah, I just, and, I, ju I mean, you you said yourself three years ago. I just think it's unfair to judge Dame's performance and, and who he is as a player based off of the last three years where he's been injured. I think we wait, we see how he how he does this year, and then we have that conversation. But to me, when, when you have a guy that has had an injury that he's been battling for the last three years, and it, you're you're going to see a difference in him, and so you know, hopefully he comes back and he's able to to play to the extent that he can play, and then we have that conversation. Well, maybe, but he's not going to get better. I mean, how you do know, you know? But because he's over thirty, I mean, he might age like wine and get more mature, but he's not. His prime is slipping behind him. He's not going to be forecasted to make another leap forward in his career. I mean, he's, you know, he's already done plenty of those. And by the way, he's actually pretty great as he is. What I'm saying is that having that kind of great point guard uh, is not necessarily the same advantage it might have been a couple years ago. It's no longer just Dame and Steph, and that's the end of the conversation. Other people are beginning to encroach yeah. on that conversation. And Which now you get three or four teams that can all say that and you go, okay, well, what else have we got then? Because that matters. And if the answer isn't a lot, then okay, well, that colors then how far you think you can go with your great asset. Yeah, there are a lot of really great players in the NBA right now and, and unique and talented players. There's no question about that. Um, we have guys that are coming up that are, you know, young talent that, that are starting to really develop and come into their own. John Morant is a great example example of that. You know, he's young and he's coming out and just really doing big things. Um, so there's no denying that. I just think it's not a comparison thing. Like we're going to see, we don't have those players, so it doesn't really matter for us. We got to figure out what we can do with the players that we do have. And, and what we do have right now is Dame. Um, you know, the conversation now with the Suns being booted out of the playoffs is uh, around DeAndre Ayton. He, there was some controversy, apparently some conflict with their exit and with him and there's a lot of talk about him not staying with the Suns next season. And so, of course, Portland Trail Wizards fans are all over that and coming up with all kinds of scenarios in which we can bring DeAndre Ayton to the Blazers. So what do you think, Dave? What do you think of, of that? What, what do you think of him for the Blazers? And do you think that this is a realistic possibility? Well, I mean, first of all, his discontent was sowed early in the year when the Suns couldn't come to an agreement with him on a max extension. Uh, so yeah. he was already kind of chip on his shoulder. I think he played really well all year despite that, which speaks well of him. Uh, I think also, though, if you're getting into a conflict with Monty Williams, eh, I, I, I tend to, that's a little bit of a red flag for me. Uh, but look, this team... This team had him, and this team needed him, Phoenix, that is. 
but this team was in no way centered around him. I mean, his role, he was probably the third player you mentioned on the team, sometimes the fourth, and he's probably better than that. So a different scenario might do him good. The Suns cannot give him away, though. Uh, first of all, I don't think there's any way they don't match an offer for him. I mean, he was the first round, not first round, first overall pick just a couple years ago, right? Four years ago, he was literally the guy they spent their number one pick on. So they've got to get something for him uh, because it would be a nuclear level disaster not to. But if they're not believing that he's a compatible part of the future, I mean, they're not going to be able to get uh, a first overall pick for him again, right? So the question for Portland is, does the number seven pick and talent do it if there's some kind of sign and trail trade deal going on with him? You know, uh, uh, um, yeah, maybe. I mean, obviously you would think that they'd need a big man back. The only big man that qualifies right now is Nurk. So, does does Nurk and Seven get that deal done? Hmm? You know, that it, it all depends on Phoenix's perception, I guess. And that's the part we don't know. But I don't think there's any way they fire Salem. And I think that they would find it more valuable to hold on to him for another year, matching an offer. Because all it's costing them is money. And when you're the best record in the league, money comes easier, right? So I, I don't think they, they get rid of him on the cheap uh and if they were willing to do that, that would actually be another red flag. So, realistic, I don't know. Possibility, yeah. How about you? I have mentioned before on this podcast that I wanted DeAndre Aiden. I love his game. I think he's great. I think he would... There's a part of me, I go back and forth about this, because there's a part of me that likes the idea of keeping the core that we have and, and working on, you know subtle but powerful changes <laughs> but there's also a part of me that would like to see that see that get blown apart a little bit i feel like because now we basically have dame nurk and anthony simons where before we had dame nurk and cj and dame nurk and cj wasn't working the way we needed it to so is dame nurk and ant gonna work the way we need it to i don't know so there's a part of me that thinks it would be fun to have. I got to stop using the word fun. I need a new word. But there's a part of me that thinks that, you know, putting someone in there like Aiton would be new and maybe new isn't bad. Maybe it gives kind of a refresher, uh, you know, a, a new set of ways of doing things and, and adjust, you know, adjust to, I don't know. It just it just seems like we don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. We got to make some changes somewhere. I don't know if that's the change. If all we do is is get DeAndre Ayton, I don't know that that's going to be enough. So I guess it would be, uh, you know, can we get him for, you know, uh, cheap enough that we still have room to do some other things? And I kind of tend to agree with you. I, I feel like probably not. Um, unless we have something that they just really want. I don't know that that would be the case. So as much as I want him on the team and I'd like to see that happen, I get, I get stuck on how do we do it? 
Um, so yes to DeAndre Ayton on the Blazers, but as far as how do we do it, is it realistic? I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it is. Um, and, and that's where I get hung up. I love to talk about who I would potentially like to have on the team, but when it comes to actually realistically putting together a, a deal, I, it's a little, it's a little trickier. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any bl- doubt that the Blazers take him. Uh, if they can. I mean, he's gotten better defensively over the last couple of years. He used to be not good as a rookie, but now he's he's really made improvements on that end. He's a solid player. He produces. He's also younger. I mean, so look, we keep talking about the split timeline or the, you know, all the needs that the Blazers have and how hard it is to fulfill all of them. Well, Aiden gives them a center who is talented and young, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. In fact, yeah. you can make an argument that having Aiton would be vastly superior to having Nurkic, because Nurkic is somewhat older, a known commodity, uh, and uh, isn't as talented. Uh, you know, Aiton. Aiton. And by the way, also, if if you retool this team, does Nurkic really fit anymore? <laughs> not not perfectly. You know, he kind of theoretically fit what the team used to be. I think he could fit what the team is trying to grow into this season. But if you got rid of, for instance, Lillard or other talent, and you said, well, we're going to keep Nurk because we can really build around him. Is that true? I don't think so. But is that true of DeAndre Ayton? Possibly. So I I think there's no reason that Portland wouldn't go get him. Uh, It's just a matter of do they have enough to entice Phoenix to do it, which is a matter of what else is everybody else going to offer. Well, and that's one of the things that I was reading. Um, I think it was Eric that did a nice long post about it on on Twitter. Um, And I was reading about, you know, the options. And, And one of the things that is tricky in a situation like a DeAndre Ayton is how many other teams are even realistic options to take him. And that's one of the tricky things when you have a guy that, that wants a lot of money um, is, is can you take that on? And, and can you, is, is there enough cap space for him? You know, all those things. And there's really not a lot of places. It didn't sound like that were options. So Portland might be an actual possibility. That's apples and oranges, though, because Portland isn't a possibility either if it takes cap space to sign him. Uh, what, what he needs is one team with cap space to make him an offer. And if that happens, then Phoenix matches it. So Phoenix can take him back, if that makes sense. As soon as Phoenix takes him back, anybody with assets to trade for him can get him. And that's how Portland would get him. Portland can't clear $30 million of cap space to make him a direct offer themselves without without axing half the team. Right. So Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Either way, it'll be interesting. I I don't know. I, I think Portland might be on the radar just from, you know, anytime that pops up, outside of of portland media when you start seeing it in national media you yeah. have to wonder and adrian wojnarowski um, said it basically yeah yeah um so it, it's definitely a possibility i am not mad about it i think it would be i i would i would like to see him on the blazers uh at what cost i don't know that is that remains to be seen but. if it's to pick in a player or two you do it right 
man, I don't know. It just, it feels like, because we do have Nurk. And so it also feels like you got to do something with that pick that's going to be big, you know? And I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I need to think about that a little more before I know if, if I would do that or not. That feels like the one big trade piece that we have, the one big move that we have is that pick and is the one big move that we make DeAndre Ayton? I don't know. I don't know. I am not sure. I don't think you can get any bigger. It's a seventh pick. I don't I don't think I mean, who else is realistically right. available no, for that? No, I, I understand that. I just yeah. I don't know. And also I I'd say you can't draft DeAndre Ayton with that seventh pick. Yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll see. It's it's gonna get interesting. Dave, it is gonna get interesting. So all this stuff kind of ties together this week, but that brings us to our last keeper yeet. Thank God, because I hate these so much. Um, our our last keeper yeet is Damian Lillard. He it was last last year as well. Oh, I hate these keeper yeets. Go ahead, Dave. What do you think about this one? Well, I mean, I said basically this is an asterisk. I mean, they have to do well this summer. They have to do very well this summer in whatever moves they make. And if they do not do well this summer, they need to move him. And there's not much doubt about that from a basketball point of view. Uh, because you cannot, you cannot keep waiting. You cannot let you know, his, his contract run out. I mean, uh, or if you extend him, you cannot get stuck in a situation where you're paying him 50 million a year and he's untradeable. It's, it's just not reasonable to expect that you would hang the next X number of years of this team around a sentiment. Uh, And that's what it would end up being unless they build around him. One thing that I mentioned in that post was it's not just a cost this year. It's not just like, you know, um, okay, we didn't do so well this year. It's okay. Maybe we would have done better or worse. It's literally delaying your upward swing. I mean, or your chance at taking it upward. It's like not, not even coming to bat if you're using the word swing. You're not even getting to bat at that point. You're not developing any assets. You're not restarting to build in a new direction. Uh, you're just staying in neutral, and you cost yourself the opportunity to sign or to trade people, and you cost yourself the opportunity to start producing draft picks, which now get you back uh, onto, onto course. And that's, that's a big opportunity cost uh, if they're not going to build around him. Now, if they can get a couple of, you know, starters, if, if they can make this into a lineup that makes you go, hey, not, oh, I think they could be good, but hey, you know, they've got a chance, then that's a strong argument to keep him. But they don't have that now. And so we need to see uh, between now and September, basically, what they end up doing. But if they strike out, uh, you you gotta you gotta move them. I will forever be team keep Dame. I don't know that there's anything that could happen that would make me say, yeah, we gotta we gotta trade him. I think you know I've I've said this before. I'm gonna say it again. I feel like he's earned his place here if he wants it, and uh, I know that that can be a controversial thought. I, I think that there are people who 
would adamantly disagree with that. I think you tend to disagree with that a little bit. Uh, you know, like what you just said, that there are circumstances under which you, you have to trade him. That's the best thing for the team. And while I don't necessarily disagree that that may be the best business decision, I think that when it comes to Portland, it's hard to just look at it as a business decision. I think that, you know, Dame is is more than just a basketball player to that city. I think that he it would leave a lasting impact on the culture around that team and, and the city if Dame were to be traded somewhere else, especially if you're trading him and, and rebuilding, because then you're essentially looking for new people to come up and, and build what what Dame has already established there. So on top of just the fact that Damian Lillard is a fantastic basketball player, one of the best in the league, and the idea of the Blazers getting someone like him again, you know, that may not happen in the near future. On top of that, just who Dame is and, and what he contributes to the culture of the team, of of the fandom, of the city, uh, I would I would just really hate to lose that. And so for me... It's a. It's always gonna be keep. I just. I just can't. I can't picture the Portland Trailblazers without Damian Lillard as long as he's in the NBA. Business decision, though. I mean, if the Blazers say to him, "Hey, we do want to keep you, but we do not want to give you this two-year, hundred million dollar extension, and we're not going to do it." Does Dame feel the same way about this team and about loyalty and whether he's supported here? I would argue probably not. That means that's a this is a business decision for him. I, I think you can speculate and you can guess that, but ultimately we don't know. We don't know what he would do. Um, and maybe you're right. Maybe he would go somewhere else um, if he could find someone else to 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 do that deal. Maybe he would. I don't know. Um, until that comes up, I, I, I hate to question that when he's said over and over that this is where he wants to be, that this is where he's like, I, for me personally, I, I, I take that. And I think, you know, this is my opinion. This doesn't have to be truth. It doesn't have to be everybody's opinion. And this is actually, we kind of talked about maybe talking about this and I was hesitant to do so, but these keeper yeet, um, I'm going to go off on a side thing on this real quick, but these ke this keeper yeet thing, the reason that this is hard for me and the reason that I jokingly say how much I hate it, even though I'm really not joking, I actually really hate it, uh, is because for me, I, I don't, I, and, and this is something that's not a secret. This is something I've talked about on the podcast. This is something I've written about. This is something I tweeted about. This is something that is not a secret. But for me, basketball is not just about winning. Now, that does not mean that I don't want to win. I want to win. I want to win a championship. I would love to see Portland have a championship. But at the end of the day, that is not the only thing that I enjoy. And that alone is not something I would enjoy. I would not enjoy a team that's painful to watch that I don't like the players, even if they were good, I guess they wouldn't be painful to watch if they were good, but I wouldn't enjoy a team that I didn't like the players, even if they were good, I wouldn't enjoy it in the same way. And so for me personally, a lot of this is about who I enjoy watching. I 
in, there's a lot of players in the NBA that I enjoy watching. They're not just trailblazers. There are trailblazers that have left the team and gone on to other teams that I still follow their careers. I still really love watching them play basketball. There are, are players on the trailblazers that it will be that way as well. But for me, the decision to keep a player or not keep a player is not just about how they fit on the team from a basketball perspective. For me personally, it goes to more than that. And every time we write these, I, I you know, I stopped reading the comments on things that I wrote for quite a while. But I was always kind of interested in what other people thought about these keeper yeet things. And uh, in one of the more when one of the ones we wrote near the end, I can't remember whose it was exactly. There were a lot of comments kind of ripping at me and the fact that I just want to run it back and, you know, I can't let go of anyone and whatever else. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing for me because at the end of the day, when we, when we trade a player, a CJ McCollum, for example, I fought that I dug my heels in the ground and I fought the idea of a CJ McCollum trade. It was uh, it's something we talked about regularly. It was something that I hated the idea of. I regularly said, please don't trade him. Please don't trade him. And then they traded him. And you know what? I didn't cry. I didn't throw a fit. I did not really, it didn't affect me. I'm happy for CJ that he's happy where he is. I'm fine with the Blazers without him. I, I think we're going to be fine. But he was a player that I enjoyed watching and I enjoyed him on my team. So had you asked me keep or eat CJ, I would have said, keep him because I want to watch him play. And that's how I do this. And so for me, I am never going to be the kind of writer that sits here and says, well, we need to get rid of this person. Well, this person was so terrible. Well, this, I, I would not want the job of a beat writer of someone who covers the team and they're the only one covering it for a certain publication. You know, there are different publications where they have one writer per team and that writer has to cover the good, the bad, and the ugly. I love Blazer's Edge because I don't have to do that other than Keeper Heat. <laughs> other than Keeper Heat, I don't have to do that. I get to write the feel-good stories. I get to report about the things that, you know, are I, I purposely pick things that I enjoy, that are happy, that are positive, that are good, because that's what I want to do. I will never be the kind of writer that can sit down and look at this and say, you know, from a business standpoint, from a purely basketball standpoint, we need to trade Damian Lillard now while we can get a lot for him. That's not me. That's not how I enjoy basketball. That doesn't mean that somebody else can't enjoy it that way. That doesn't mean that I'm right. It just means simply that that's how I enjoy it. So when we do keep or eat, and I say keep to 90% of these guys, it's not that I think we should run it back and we're going to win a championship that way. I know basketball well enough to know that if we keep the roster we currently have, we are not going to win a championship. We are probably not going to make it into the playoffs. We didn't this year. So I, I know that. I know that. I know that we need to make moves. I know that we need to make changes. But that's not how I enjoy it. So for me... Once again, I would say keep Damian Lillard because I like Damian Lillard and I like watching him play and I like watching him in a Blazers uniform. Makes sense. I can't do that because then I would not stop. You know what I mean? I mean, CJ McCollum earned his place here too. And drawing a line between Dame and CJ by those criteria shouldn't exist. I, uh, I was not team trade CJ. Right, I think exactly. CJ should have stayed. Um, there's, a, there's a certain point at which 
somewhere in the confluence of these two rivers, there has to be a union that makes sense for everybody. The homely wisdom that I've found in all of this is that when teams aren't unified by something other than themselves, in other words, we're a good group of people and uh, we like being together, it quickly curdles. That it's that exterior motivation to be the best, to grow, to beat other teams, to play the game every night at the absolute highest level possible that ends up uniting people beyond themselves and bringing together everybody beyond their own proclivities uh, and, and sending the team forward as a feel-good unit as well as you know a basketball success. And when you remove that external sense of growth from an organization or even a locker room, very quickly, all the critiques turn inward and all the, you know, becomes self-centered. And that feel-good feeling uh, doesn't last. So, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that all of that hangs on a dame trade. I am saying that, in my experience, you can run back organizations you can keep all the same people because they're amazing but two and three years down the road that same group of people when they become stagnant aren't as amazing anymore and it's not just their production it's the culture it's the whatever so you know i'm i'm for some healthy change i don't think the blazers are desperate for change right now i don't think they're going to make radical changes right now but you know, we already knew the clock was over on the old version of the team last fall. This was their last year to try it. Didn't work. They had to make trades. I'm suggesting that the clock doesn't extend. They got an extension of like three months. And if they cannot pull off a really good off season, running it back for a whole nother year and seeing what they can do next off season is not going to make this better. In fact, it's probably going to make it worse. You're not wrong. You're you're not wrong. And and like I said, at the end of the day, I, I want to see him win. I'm really glad it's not my job to make these decisions. It, it's hard enough for me just to talk about them, to be honest. It, it's just basketball has always been something that's really enjoyable for me. And when I have to get into conversations about who's better than who or who we trade and who we keep, it, it just sucks the fun out of it. Yeah. <laughs> it just sucks out the life. I just, I told you, I want to, you know, the 30-man roster so that we can just keep everybody that we like. I know, that, that would be, be awesome. Although, I got to say, watching the last, like, <laughs> 10 weeks yeah. of last season... 27 also, people. ...also kind of sucked the fun out of basketball <laughs> a bit. So maybe we can find a middle ground where the on-court product and the personalities are both fun to watch, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay, moving on. So another kind of... Big story, I guess. Maybe you can fill in on this because I didn't actually read it. Um, but Jason Quick for The Athletic wrote uh, an article basically ripping on the Blazers for not doing a complete search um, or con any kind of search before naming Joe Cronin as the GM. Um, Dave, you want to fill in the details of that? Yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword a little bit. I mean, you can kind of go both ways. It is usually good practice to run a search, even if you plan to hire from within. That's corporate policy in most places, and there are probably reasons for that, right? 
Uh, so I think in a sense, there is some validity to that in that it may be another red flag that the Blazers are not, not don't have all the wheels on the ground, right? You know, checks and balances and stuff like that. That said, I'm much more inclined to think that they just knew they had the person they wanted and were going to promote him from interim to permanent. And that was an open possibility from the moment they named him interim. And honestly, I'm not terribly fond of, unless there are other uh, reasons, like, you know, I am in favor of the NFL having to run some, you know, having to basically run interviews uh, to make sure that they are including people who have traditionally been excluded from the hiring process. That makes sense to me. But just to say that, well, you know, they should run interviews so that they look better, even though they know they're going to hire or name Joe Cronin as the permanent GM does not make sense to me and is probably much ado about nothing. In the end, that's where I'm going to land on this. Um, you know, I think that they, they have the guy they want and uh, they don't think that they could have done better and didn't want to delay that and just made a pass straight from his appointment to interim to his appointment as permanent GM. I, I think I don't think that's indicative of much bigger that's wrong with the team, nor do I think they would have done better had they done it the other way. There just might have been one less thing to complain about, I guess. Yeah, it's interesting because didn't didn't he also like i feel like he was on the opposite end of this when they were doing the coach search i agree with you in that you know there need to be certain ways of doing things but i think that's a totally different thing than when someone works their way up the ranks of a team um i, I to me that takes away the need to hire or to go through a search in the same way that you would you know it, it, it's a different thing ironically, uh, than what they did with the coach where, you know, they kind of knew that this was their guy and they brought him in and they did the interview and then they did interviews with a couple other people to make it look like they were interviewing people. And then they went with this guy. Uh, I don't know what quick thought about that at the time, but it, it's not to me, this is a different thing to me. This is somebody who has worked his way up through the ranks who the organization, the franchise, the the front office is familiar with. They know him. They know who he is. They know whether or not he's qualified. They actually, I would argue that they actually know him significantly better than any applicant they may have. So it makes sense if they think he can do the job to not go through that process because what are you going to find in that process that you don't already know about him? So to me, if they if they have a guy that they think is going to do the job, and, and I personally feel like they probably knew that from day one uh, and, and just kind of – because I don't think you put somebody in an interim GM – situation and give him the kind of power that they did, especially to get rid of somebody like CJ. Um, I don't think they give him the power that they did without thinking pretty solidly that he's probably going to be continuing because you're not going to let somebody come in in the interim and make moves like that and then say, oh, oh nope, we're going to hire this guy and go a different direction. It just doesn't make sense. Um, so to me, I think that this was probably kind of the plan all the way around uh, why they said they were going to do some sort of search. I don't know if that wasn't the plan, 
maybe that was for optics but either way i i don't have a problem with this i don't think it matters i don't think it's a big deal i think it makes a lot of sense to to have done things the way that they did we also should point out that nba franchises are different than standard corporations especially on the basketball side of things they're a fiefdom i mean who makes the decision ultimately there are not shareholders there's not even really a board of directors i mean there's a chain of command but that's different uh, there's an owner, and the owner ultimately has final say. And that is true of all basketball decisions and all hiring decisions to the extent the owner wants. So there's no like process that ultimately will veto or subvert that. The in, entire corporation could be saying, we want candidate A. And if the owner says, no, we're hiring candidate B, there we go. It's candidate B. End of story. So there's there's minimal utility in in the process if the owner has already gone a different direction or already has a different opinion again you can question whether that's rational you can question whether that's smart you can question whether the owner knows anything but advocating for a different process when it's kind of like quidditch in <laughs> in uh, harry potter i don't know if you've ever read that uh but Okay, well, for the rest of the world, you remember Quidditch? They go through the whole rest of the lacrosse soccer game and score like whatever, 10 points per goal or whatever. But whichever team finds the elusive golden snitch gets like a thousand points or some ungodly amount, which makes every goal that's been scored in the whole rest of the game meaningless. This was not a well-designed sport. Like, it just literally, there's, you know... You were ahead 100 to 50, and now all of a sudden the other team wins 1,050 to 100. No way you can make it up. It's the same way with this. Okay. You know, just if, if Cronin was a, if Cronin was the golden snitch, I guess they found him. <laughs> and there you go. End of game. And no amount of goal scoring or other formation or other way of doing it is going to change that. I don't even know why we're talking about this. Like, I don't know why this is an issue. It it seems like a very non-issue. Seems weird. Yeah. Yeah. That said, we should also mention in with Cronin. Keep in mind that he did not control the ping pong balls, and I'm not. You know, it's not my intent to be a Joe Cronin defender or advocate. His record will show what happens but the piling on because ping pong balls bounced a certain way yeah and because the pelicans made the playoffs um it's a little bit i mean the the second one may be a little sketchy the first one he had no control over and the fact that the blazers only had the seventh pick means that cronin will have more to be judged by in the future not that he's already judged wanting yeah, I, I think, I mean, I've been saying this all along. We have to wait and see what he does. This this is, this process is not over. And, you know, so so he still has a few months, you know, of, of off season to make moves and, and do whatever. And then on top of that, you also, again, have to remember he's undoing years of damage that's been done. And that doesn't happen overnight. I don't think it's reasonable to expect him to put together a championship contending team in one year that's not reasonable how many years was was neil there and how many of those years were they a championship contending team you you can't you can't you just can't do that you can't put that all on him this quickly it's going to take some time 
Yeah, um, but there's got to be forward progress. Otherwise, course, I, mean, yeah. I mean, and that's this is the thing. It's like, what are you judging Joe Cronin on? You don't even really know the mission. I mean, you know what they hope the mission will be. But for instance, last year, the mission was clearly not to get more talented. It was to get under the luxury tax. And yeah. they did it. And to right. judge them by any other metric, I mean, you can judge the effectiveness of those trades. I get it. But basically, you have to know what they were aiming at in order to interpret them. Yeah. Here's the thing. We don't know what the mission is really going to be. They, they're hopeful that they can build a contender. They're going to say, that's the mission. But the reality is, his mission may be to continue to tear it down and recycle. And we will not know until we've seen you know, these initial moves, until we've seen at least a few more months go by. So, you know, what are you judging him on? If the mission is to tear it down... Uh, he really shouldn't be acquiring really expensive players to come back and, you know, uh, run it back for another two years and go nowhere. Uh, and, you know, vice versa. If the mission is to build a contender now, he should probably not be drafting with that seventh pick. He should probably trade it, even if the value long term of the the pick isn't as great in the trade as it is in the draft. So, I mean... We're going to figure out together what he's trying to do or what he's supposed to be doing or what he's forced to do, but you do need to judge him on that road or that, those guidelines, not on what we think should happen or what we wish were happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot left to be to be told before we can make a judgment. I still have hope. I still have hope that, you know, it's going to be okay. <laughs> It'll be okay either way. I mean, and this is yeah. the thing. Come on, Blazers fans. You know, if if a new era starts sooner than later, that will be a new era to get excited about. Okay, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and if the Blazers get to get a run where they get to go back to the playoffs and they do pretty well, that will be something to be excited about. It's probably okay either way. You just don't want to get caught in the middle for too long where yeah. you're trying to get something to get excited about but can't quite get there. Well, speaking of getting excited, I had a kind of cool thing happen today because um, I think that's about it for our Blazers stuff, unless you had anything else you wanted to add. Oh, no. We got lots of more weeks to do that. I mean, there's no need to yeah. get into the draft got, quite yet. We're No, we've got time. Yep. Um, so I have talked before about the fact that I'm a photographer. I shoot basketball. Um, the G League is over, obviously. However, the WNBA has started up. And I have gotten to, I got, I only got to shoot one game last season. Uh, COVID had things really weird. It was, we didn't, we weren't even able to be on the court. It was a whole thing. So today was the Los Angeles Sparks season opener. For those of you who don't know, I live in Los Angeles. Um, and so this is my local team. So I got to shoot the Sparks season opener which was really cool in and of itself. It was something I was really excited about. I've been really looking forward to shooting WNBA and waiting for it to come back. So that was really cool. Um, but I'm sitting on the court. It's uh, partway through the first quarter and I can hear, you know, things going on behind me. And I turn to look because it, because it was a season opener, there was a lot of, uh, uh, star power for lack of a better way of saying it. Lisa Leslie was there. Magic Johnson was there. Um, um, uh, why can't I think of his name? Um, oh, shoot. Anyway, there were people there. There were several people there. Um, 
And I was sitting on the court. I heard some some commotion. And so I turned around and walking up behind me was Carmelo Anthony and Baron Davis. That was the name I was trying to think of, Baron Davis. And Baron Davis was sitting courtside directly behind me, behind where I was shooting. So I hear, I, I turn and I look and I see Carmelo Anthony and I, Dave, I'm around basketball players all the time. I work for an NBA, a retired NBA player full time. Like I'm with him regularly. I've shot games. I've met players. I don't usually, I, I mean, it's really cool. I, I, it's always really cool, but I don't usually really have a reaction. The one exception to that was when I met Clyde Drexler and, and that was the end for me. Um, I stopped functioning as a human being, but <laughs> I, Turner and I see Mello and I immediately start shaking. My hands start shaking. I and and he stops to say hi to Baron Davis, who's sitting immediately behind me, and he almost steps on me. Mello's foot is now right next to me, and I'm looking at his foot and I'm thinking, do I touch it? Do I take a picture? What do I do? I don't know what to do. And so I just sat there, not doing anything. Um, and you know, they had their conversation and then he walked past me and he sat down courtside. Oh, next to taco fall, who was also there, who is a large human being, by the way, <laughs> you like, think so? He's pretty he big. didn't, he did not look comfortable sitting there and his feet, his feet alone. That was actually the reason I realized who he was. Um, anyway, so <laughs> you, you got his, feet memorized. Nice. His feet were so big, like abnormally big. And I, you know, and then you could tell that he's super tall and it just, anyway. So Mello goes down, he sits, he sits next to Taco Fall, who's literally, you know, five, six chairs away from me. And I'm sitting there realizing that Mello is going to be, by the way, there's a game going on this whole time. I am no longer paying attention to the game because Carmelo Anthony is sitting six seats away from me. And so, uh, so he sits down and he's watching the game. I go back to shooting the game. I'm pretty and I'm debating what do I do because I'm not really somebody who goes up to I don't go up to the guys like if if an interaction happens naturally it happens naturally and that's fine um but I don't I don't go out of my way to do that I just feel like that's not that's not what I'm there for but it was mellow so I'm debating what do I do do I just you know so I'm taking pictures of the game I've taken pictures of mellow and then halftime comes and he gets up and he's standing behind me talking to um, Baron Davis and I just he stopped he wasn't talking he was just standing there and I just walked over and I said listen I don't normally do this but I'm a huge fan I'm a Blazer fan I really enjoyed watching on team I don't even remember what I said because you know it's mellow yes and blackout. right and I said I never do this but can we take a picture can you take a picture with me and he said yeah you want me to take a selfie like I'll give me your phone. And so he takes my phone. He takes a selfie. It's probably the least flattering photo in life of me ever. Um, but he took the photo and I said, thank you. He said, yeah, no problem. Really nice. Really friendly. I go back and sit in my little box uh, and continue shooting the game. I take probably, I probably took 50 pictures of mellow just sitting in the same place because he was mellow. Um, and so that was my cool Carmelo Anthony encounter I am not a cool person. I absolutely have no chill when it comes to players like Mello. Uh, apparently, I was surprised at my own reaction. Um, you know, I, I when I shot the Blazer game, I was that close, if not closer to Dame, and I didn't have that reaction. Uh, so I don't know exactly what it was about. Maybe it was the unexpectedness of him being there. I don't know. But 
uh, it was interesting. It was, it, you know, I always enjoy having those interactions when they're positive, when the guys are nice and, and they are exactly who you hope they'll be. Um, but that was cool. It was, it was kind of my cool little mellow inter- encounter. So That is absolutely cool. And yeah, mellow is one of the players in the NBA who make all of us look less attractive because he's, you know, he's... He's he's got swag. He's yeah. just cool. He's, like, he's got that thing, you know. And I like he it. Wears Actually, sunglasses the whole time. So like I can't do that. Melo is one of those guys who I think, as he aged, became more whatever, more attractive. I mean, let's face it, he's no hot Josh, but he's you know pretty good. <laughs> uh, and like, there's something about him, like almost he became himself. You know how that happens yeah. with some people. Yeah. And. And I'm not saying he wasn't. I don't want to judge. I don't know. I didn't. You know, I didn't. I didn't know when he was young. I interacted with him a little bit when he was young. He, of course, will not remember that. But uh, there was just this okay front a little bit. There was like there was the aura of mellow, and then there was something about the brand of mellow, and then somewhere under there was a mellow. But you just the impression was that you didn't really see it, right? And appropriately so. I mean, come on. A guy is world famous and 23 and everybody in the world wants a piece of him uh, and he's going to be open and vulnerable to the world? No, okay, that's not going to happen, right? But somewhere, I think, along the line, whatever is mellow came out, right? Or expanded into that larger circle and something about him became more pleasing you know what i mean yeah. more whatever uh, just to look upon e- easier to easier to see and yeah, uh, yeah. so he I has get a presence yes you know he he has a, a confidence and a presence uh that i think comes with time of being you know successful in in the league um and just as a human you know he he just he carries himself with confidence um yeah, he seems to have really come into his own and and good for him, you know? So I, I forgot momentarily that he was on the Lakers and uh, that I was in Los Angeles, but... I mean, it's does it even matter anymore? I mean, just... <laughs> I mean, I get it kind of does, but the Lakers... Look, everybody was deriding the Blazers because of the absolutely ghastly, historically bad end-of-season performance. Fair enough, but the Lakers took all the heat. The Lakers just totally distracted, you know, everybody from anything anybody else was doing because they bombed so badly. So, you know, it's like it's it's a good thing that the Lakers exist right now because they're they're the lightning rod and uh, now everybody else can operate under the radar and kind of suck quietly. <laughs> I don't even have anything to say to that. It's now midnight and my brain has shut off so <laughs> yes well i'm i'm an hour later than you are so. i know you are and it's my fault because i was shooting the game and i didn't get out till late we we couldn't record but i i don't know how you're doing it my brain went to bed two oh hours i mean ago. what one heck of a week that's how we're doing it this will be one of the yeah. most interesting exciting weeks of the op- off season it'll probably be top five at least so there's no way we weren't going to do this podcast tonight because yeah. wow i mean that's uh Number seven may not be the most exciting result, but what a roller coaster ride we went on. And then DeAndre Ayton and all this other stuff is like, oh, things are starting to percolate and it's going to get even more bubbly as we go along. Speaking
speaking of rolling along, that's going to do it for us. Uh, for Dia Miller, I am Dave Deckard, and we are going to be back here next week. Uh, you can like, subscribe, tell all your friends about how cool Carmelo Anthony is, and, uh, you know, absolutely uh, come back next week, and we will see you then. A hater sees an opening down the lane, moves towards the hoop, but then Dia comes out of nowhere to swap the shot attempt away, saying, get that weak stuff out of here. Dave scoops up the loose ball. Now it's a fast break the other way with Dia. She's flying down the court. Dave sends her an alley-oop. She jams it. Boom, shakalaka. The crowd is on its feet saluting Dia. I tell you, if she isn't the rookie of the year, they really ought to just stop giving the award. What a talent.